What's going on guys, Coach Omarzini here with you, and welcome to the ProGK Academy Goalkeeping News Podcast. I'm going to try and keep this as free-flowing as I can, and just share with you guys my thoughts and opinions on the weekly goalkeeping news from all around the world. I'll be releasing an episode every Tuesday morning, that way we can break down the results and performances from the weekend, as well as give you guys my predictions for the upcoming weekend of games. Thank you guys for tuning in, and let's get right into it. To start, let's discuss David De Gea and the current form that he's in for both club and country. A recent stat shows that since the start of the World Cup, De Gea has faced 14 shots on target and has conceded 10 goals. With these stats and his performances being called into question, is David De Gea still a top 5 goalkeeper in the world? Let me just start off by saying that yes, De Gea is still world class. Is he in world class form? No, but all great goalkeepers go through rough patch like this. By the way, this rough patch only consists of about 6 games. So for people to say that De Gea is not who we thought he was, you know, these six games show us that he can't be consistent for club and country, is to me, it's just crazy. He's shown the past few years that he can lead a team, he can really hold a team down like Man United. In Mourinho's system right now, it needs a strong goalkeeper. And you're trying to tell me that Man United would have finished in second place in the Premier League last year if it weren't for De Gea? I mean, come on. So I want to break down each goal from these six games and touch on this stat of 14 shots on target and 10 goals conceded to show you guys why he's been on the wrong end of some unlucky goals and unlucky results. So as we all know, De Gea had a rather underwhelming World Cup for his standards. Throughout last season, I was pretty confident in saying that he was the best in the world. So going into the World Cup, I was excited to see how he and Spain would do and if he could replace Casillas and take him on a big run and hopefully win the World Cup. However, from the start, we got anything but that. In the World Cup, he faced seven shots and six of them went in. Of all the statistics that I read from the World Cup, this was probably the most misleading one. Without the full context, this stat is pretty damning. So to give you guys some context, I'm going to break down exactly how these seven shots led to six goals. Now, throughout the World Cup, Spain averaged just under 72% possession, which means that De Gea hardly ever saw the ball. You know, in their first game versus Portugal, Portugal converted all three of their shots on goal. The first was a fourth-minute penalty kick from Ronaldo, which is always a 50-50 chance that you'll save it, you won't save it, and we can't blame him that much on this one. The second was absolutely his mistake. He spills a Ronaldo shot straight into the goal, and it's a shot that if he had faced 99 more times, he's saving it every single time. But still, there's no excuses for him here. That was clearly a mistake, and one that he wishes he had back. And lastly was Ronaldo's free kick from just outside the box in the 88th minute. It was perfectly placed and unstoppable, and it isn't something you can blame him for. But after a game like this, you know, any goalkeeper would be discouraged, lacking confidence, and looking forward to the next game to redeem themselves. In their following match versus Iran, Spain have 70% possession to Iran's 7 shots and 0 shots on target. You know, there were a few close calls, a shot that hit the side netting, and a disallowed goal, but for the most part, De Gea hardly ever touched the ball. A shutout is a shutout, but if we're being realistic, De Gea probably felt that he didn't necessarily contribute enough to consider the result a redeeming performance. So, still not much to really build off of in terms of confidence. Now we fast forward to their last group game against Morocco, and again, 70% possession for Spain, 14 minutes in, a mistake by Ramos and Iniesta in the midline, leads to a counterattack 1v1, and then a goal. Again, one shot, one goal, before even touching the ball. Now, he does, however, make a big-time save on another 1v1 counterattack a few minutes later. 
He makes himself big, and a save like that would build anyone's confidence. But the next shot he faces is an open header to the top left corner from 8 yards out off a corner kick. And as you guys can see, there's a trend forming here. Tons of possession for Spain, and either a PK or an unmarked finish from inside the 6 and a goal conceded. Lastly, let's take a look at the final three games of this stretch. Russia in the round of 16 of the World Cup, Leicester City and Brighton in the EPL openers. The final stats from these three games are two penalties conceded and three open shots from inside the six. So as we can see, of these 10 goals conceded, he probably only could have done better with one of them, and that's the Ronaldo spill. So, you know, I sometimes find myself a prisoner of the moment, and I feel like that's what people are doing with De Gea and this stretch of play. Remember, Spain collectively had a terrible World Cup. Zero offense, their coach was replaced three days before the start of the tournament, and their defense was suspect at best. Also, I'm sorry guys, but Mourinho is past his prime as a coach. Not much going forward, and their defense has been out of sorts for a while now. But at the end of the day, De Gea is being paid millions and millions of dollars to keep the ball out of the net. And when you're paid that kind of money, there's a certain amount that is required from you. And lately, he hasn't been living up to the bill. But I think that De Gea bounces back from this. You know, like I've detailed in this podcast so far, he's been on the end of some unlucky breaks. Unfortunately, those unlucky breaks have turned into goals and have cost his team losses. You know, with, let's say, Karius and Mignolet last year with Liverpool, their offense was so good that they can make up for those mistakes. You know, unfortunately not in the Champions League final, but you guys know what I mean. They were able to score more goals than they conceded, and those mistakes, of course, they were still analyzed, but they didn't cost their team losses. But still, you know, I'm not ready to jump off the De Gea bus just yet. Like any world-class goalkeeper, he will bounce back. It's only a matter of when. But if he continues with this trajectory, I'll have to rethink some things. But until then, I'm sticking with my guy. Alright guys, so to finish off episode 2, I'm going to review some of the best performances and stories from the weekend. To start, Buffon got his first Liga win for PSG this past weekend. He came up with an incredible save off a redirected shot that made noise all around the world. You couldn't go to any social media channel without seeing it or hearing about it. The game not only marked his first league win in a PSG jersey, it also showed us just how long Buffon had been Buffon. In 1997, Buffon played alongside legend defender Lilian Thuram for Parma against George Weah. In that same year, Thuram's son, Marcus, was born. Now fast forward to 2018, Buffon is now playing with Tim Weah, George's son, against Thuram's son. It's just a small reminder as to why Buffon is considered one of the best to ever do it. He's 40 years old, and he's still doing it at the highest level. Next, let's move over to Madrid and talk about how Kaylor Navas got the nod over Courtois in their La Liga opener. You know, Madrid played against Getafe on Sunday in front of their lowest La Liga attendance in 10 years. And with only one save, Navas was pretty much a spectator for much of the night. After naming Courtois as his starter for La Liga games, Lopetegui changed things up at the last minute. I'm not sure what's going on at Madrid, but I hope to see Navas keep his job until he loses it. I doubt that happens because you don't pay 38 million pounds for a backup. So I'll keep you guys posted about that in the near future. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more news coming from the Madrid camp. To wrap things up, I'm going to give you guys two quick notes on two developing stories. First, Loris Karius will likely sign a two-year loan contract with Turkish side Besiktas in the coming days. Karius was dethroned by Alisson as Liverpool's starting goalkeeper this past summer. And if he didn't make this move, he likely would have been on the bench for much of the season. I'm personally happy for him, you know, go to a different league, perform well, get your stock back up, and then when the time is right, come back to the Premier League and be a starter again. He's still young, and if he can bounce back, the future is still bright for him. 
And lastly, you know, coming into this season, Man City had one of the best goalkeeping duos in the world with starter Ederson and Claudio Bravo as his backup. This weekend against Huddersfield, Ederson made history by being the only City goalkeeper to ever record an assist in a Premier League match. However, backup Claudio Bravo tore his Achilles in training on Monday. I was happy for Bravo. He was looking like his old self in preseason matches. You know, he's 35 years old now, and you know I hope that after this injury, he can come back stronger than ever and either play in a backup role for City again or make an impact for a lower-level Premier League club. You know, As of now, Bravo's injury leaves City reliant on 20-year-old Daniel Grimshaw to act as Ederson's backup for the foreseeable future. So we'll keep you guys updated on all the developing stories as the news rolls out. Alright guys, and that's the end of the episode. If you guys enjoyed the podcast, please do me a huge favor and share it with your friends or teammates and subscribe to our YouTube and Instagram channels at ProGK Academy. Until next time, my name is Omar Zini. Have a great day.